0: Coming up, Hyundai Kona Electric and Ritual Suicide. I've always wanted to say that. And yet, these things are more closely related than you might think. Get a load of this, will you? I mean, when I was a child and dinosaurs roamed the earth and they had saddles because, of course, we rode them, you used to be able to count on one thing, and that was opening the bonnet, that's a hood, and being certain you would peer down into an engine bay. You can't even count on that now. Look what we've become. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au, and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. Me up on the website for like that. More to the point, of course, have you ever stopped to consider just how ritualised your life has become? We are such creatures of habit. But there is one ritual which you take part in routinely, and it's suddenly under threat. <laughs> You can try, of course, but you will not escape rituals. We have rituals for the start of life. Rituals at the end. And in between, show me what's not a ritual. We've got rituals for each end of the day, every day. There's annual rituals and weekly ones and nightly rituals as well. We've got rituals for education, rituals for your deity of choice, and even rituals for Friday night. We've turned blood sport into a metaphor, and the faithful flock to our modern coliseums every weekend to watch those rituals. If you want to tie the knot, we have a ritual for that, and then, of course, if you want to untie it somewhat later, ditto. Playing by the rules is kind of important to keep society functioning, but if you choose not to, we have rituals for that kind of conduct as well. There are even rituals for telling the boss how unbelievably clever he is several times every week. The key word there, of course, unbelievably. Every time we kill off a socially entrenched ritual, a new one springs up and takes its place. Look me in the eye and tell me you saw that one coming just 12 months ago. But there's one ritual that seems properly bolted on to modern life. We've evolved and become petrosapiens. And I really don't know how many million petrosapiens are tipping liquid fuels into their vehicles at any particular time. But I know I can't count that high before I die. What I want to know is, is this ritual actually on the brink? Hyundai has been incredibly brave here, or somewhat misguided, I can't decide at this stage, and ultimately I suppose time will tell, but it's fair to say that of all of the motoring journalists in all of Schittsville, I would have to be the most pragmatic and or sceptical about electric cars and what they actually mean. Some would say a hater, mostly members of Club Tesla, I presume. But I simply cannot see humanity riding to the future and saving the planet in an armada of battery-powered cars. Because I still live in a place where the facts really matter. The all-important disclaimer here, of course, Hyundai has lent me this vehicle for evaluation, but I am not getting paid to produce this report, and they're not getting any input whatsoever into what I say about this or any other car. As a somewhat uplifting consequence of driving this car, I haven't visited a filling station in almost three months. And in that time, not once have I experienced anything that could be even remotely categorized as withdrawal or grief go figure but i have to say driving an ev is different and not entirely in a bad way evs regeneratively break just like hybrids when you're not powering on like when you're just coasting the electric powertrain becomes a generator and it pumps fat electrons back into the battery, thereby reclaiming kinetic energy that would otherwise be lost to the environment in a conventional car, which is a pretty clever energy management maneuver. You actually get a regenerative braking energy flow type indicator just over there on the left-hand edge of the instrument cluster there I don't know in case you're too dumb to figure out which way the electrons are flowing in particular driving situations but overall the brakes in the Kona electric are fantastic mainly because you just don't find yourself using them very often. I mean, regenerative braking does a hell of a lot of the heavy lifting, getting the car from A to B and slowing you down in sort of normal driving situations. And it's also worth remembering that electric vehicles don't have conventional multi-ratio gearboxes because the motors are just so flexible across a large RPM range. And that makes the whole transmission experience kind of smooth and exceptionally refined. But there are still paddles behind the wheel, and they're certainly not for changing gear. They're for the regenerative brakes, which have three levels of engagement, or four if you count off. One really cool feature built into the architecture here is what happens when you press and hold the left hand regenerative braking paddle. What that does is it drags in maximum regenerative braking effort for the whole time you've got that paddle depressed. So ultimately if you leave the paddle pressed the whole time it will bring the car to a complete stop. And the more you do that, the more fat electrons you pump back into the battery, the more kinetic energy you therefore conserve for transportation into the future, the greater you extend the range and bonus points for extending the life of the vehicle's conventional brakes simply because you're not using them very much. And the range on this car is awesome as well in the context of quote unquote affordable EVs. It's about 450Ks in the real world on a full charge. And all i've got to say there is take that five-year-old nissan leaf the battery in the kona has sophisticated active liquid cooling which some competing evs like the leaf do not so long-term reliability of the car's largest and most expensive component is relatively protected plus there's an eight-year warranty on the battery for peace of mind Kona EV has a comparatively big battery too, 64 kilowatt hours, versus the Nissan Leaf with 40, for example, which explains the Leaf's proportionally lower range. 64 kilowatt hours is a hell of a lot of electrical energy, and if you're hazy on the distinction, energy is what gets you from A to B. And if you've got a lot of power, you just get there much more quickly, which is kind of nice. There's a time component to power which is absent from energy, in other words. But before we go, giving this car the crown, king of the juice should talk about the liquid fuels because if you go and jam 50 55 liters of petrol in a conventional vehicle then you are transferring roughly eight times more energy into that conventional fuel tank and you are doing it in about 5 minutes and that includes whipping into the little shop thingo and paying for that juice as well right so If we are going to consign that particular liquid refueling ritual to the dirt and deliver it a well-earned eulogy, at least in the minds of some people, then we really need to talk about recharging. Of course, when you buy a Kona Electric, they give you one of these. kind of explosion in a cable factory. But it does the job, in fairness, and it will charge up the car. They call it a trickle charger, of course, but it's not a trickle charger in the context of other trickle chargers, which you might be used to using. In fact, given the right motivation, you could... Let's call it... Trickle charge information out of a reluctant third party. Although that is not this device's primary purpose and certainly not advice about how to use it from me. Okay, so pretty standard sort of plug up the business end of so-called trickle charger. But the interesting thing, counterintuitively anyway, is kind of this bit. Because you're probably used to seeing... A transformer in a box like this, but I just read the back of this, and it's like 230 volts and 10 amps in, and in, and 230 volts and 10 amps out. So apart from a nice green-tinged graphic user interface, I don't know what's in the box. Maybe just a fuse because it's not very heavy. It must be said, and I guess it's got to have some kind of protection because hey, it's on the ground. Blah blah blah, and obviously protected by a safety switch and all of that kind of stuff. But the salient point with this so-called trickle charger is that if you expect to come home with, I don't know, 20% battery left and charge up overnight and then drive off into the sunset fully charged, ready for work tomorrow morning, then you are going to be sadly disappointed because it's going to take well over a day to recharge a Kona EV from nearly flat to kind of full. So this is maybe not so much of a disadvantage for you. I used this Kona EV for at least three months without using any other charger than just this one. I just drove it around, brought it home, plugged it in, and hey, didn't lose mobility once. So there's that, but there is a better option. Kind of sad, isn't it? You know, looking at the final nail in the coffin metaphorically of the concept of ever visiting a liquid fuel filling station ever again. That is, of course, a Hyundai Kona electric and using the same sort of taxonomy, this is a jet Charge Delta EV charger. The difference between that and the little box that comes with the car is such a game-changer because little box with the car two and a bit kilowatts of charging power, okay? This thing, 7.2 kilowatts, and the power is directly related to the time. So, you're basically slashing the time by, you know, a factor of three. If it takes six hours to get you to a full charge with little box, it's going to take about two with this. And I'll plug it in and show you in just a sec what a difference it makes. I spent... A couple of days depleting the battery on this Kona Electric, and we'll do a direct comparison between little standard box and big fat upgrade. Now these things have to come with uh, an isolation switch. I'm not sure exactly why that's just like a local regulation. And really you're only isolating this bit. And frankly, you know, there's 20 metres of 32 amp cable, big fat 32 amp single phase cable going back to the fuse box and... It's protected, it's on its own circuit, it's obviously protected by a breaker and there's a fuse for the whole house. But I guess, you know, single phase, 32 amps, that's a hell of a lot of electricity in the context of the electricity available for your average house, right? We've got single phase power and that means we've got 100 amps of single phase 240 volts coming into the house, all right? But once that cable gets into the cavity then that's only rated at 60 amps so to dissipate the heat. So this box is really pulling about half of the available electricity for the entire building, all right? So in summer, with two air conditioners running flat out in the middle of a heat wave, don't think I'm going to be charging up the EV. I'll wait until 9 or 10 o'clock at night when electricity's cheaper anyway and just plug in then and let the recharging happen. But the game-changing factor here is nearly flat to fully charged overnight while you sleep, goodbye filling station. I don't know about you, but I'm not so sad about that at all. Okay, so let me just detain you with the standard charger for a sec. We'll have a look at how long it's going to take to go from where the battery's at at the moment, which is about two-thirds depleted, to fully charged, and then we'll plug in big fat box on the wall and see what a difference it makes. And if you're worried about the cost-benefit analysis of box on the wall, I'd suggest that the cost is trivial in the context of the premium that you already paid for the electric powertrain in this car, which has got to be something like twenty-five dollars or $30,000 over a roughly equivalent internal combustion car. So a couple of grand to install box on the wall Standard installation, meaning if they have to jackhammer up in a hundred meters of concrete that's a foot and a half thick or something just to get the box in, then you will pay extra. But if they're just going to run a bit of cable, couple of grand, okay? And that's trivial in the context of the benefit that you derive from that. If you've got three-phase power, of course, you can fit an even bigger charger. I actually think that box can be configured with three-phase power. And the options there are, with single phase, you get up to 7.2 kilowatts. But I think you can have 11 or 22 kilowatts of three-phase charging. Okay, So the reason that's not so attractive right at the moment to me is that 7.2 is the sweet spot for the Kona, right? It won't accept more than that in AC charging. The 11 or the 22 from three-phase power would therefore be kind of superfluous. But I guess if you did have three-phase at home, you could fit a three-phase charger and then you'd be kind of throttled back with this car, but future-proofed for other vehicles that will accept faster rates of charge from three-phase power into the future. So there's that. Okay, so the car's basically telling me that we are about two thirds depleted. We've got one third remaining charge left in the battery. And if I need to go and rescue someone tomorrow from a COVID 19 emergency and I forget to recharge, one third of remaining charge is still like 150Ks of range. So it's hardly trivial. 150Ks, of course, about 90 miles. Miracle! The problem's going to be if I need to go for a big fat drive tomorrow and use all of the range and I've only got the so-called trickle charger because 10 amps, 240 volts, that's a lot of electricity in the context of household appliances and power tools and, you know, keeping the lights on overnight and things of that nature. But when it comes to motive power and the amount of energy you need to transfer to give yourself some meaningful range. It's really not that much. And when I look at the time projection for the trickle charger connected now, it's like more than 26 hours to get the job done. And if I don't have to go for a big drive tomorrow, then hey, that's okay. But if I do, Houston, we've got a problem. And that problem can be solved by the big fat charger with 32 amps, okay? Because that makes such a substantial difference. In fact, it slashes 19 hours from the recharging process. So I can come home and literally sleep it off and also lunch off the cheap electricity overnight, which is really just part of the baseload burn. And of course, these kind of charges they don't just get bolted on to the outside of your house. They can go in underground car parks at work or in the block of units in which you live, subject to being able to balance out the supply and all of that stuff. Because ultimately, if 20 people come home and plug in the chargers at exactly the same time, then you really are gonna have to balance up the, you know, these rechargers will have to talk to each other so that you don't just trip every breaker in the building. And they are capable of doing that. And in my view, that turns the whole thing into kind of a, a non-issue. Range anxiety becomes a non-issue because eight or nine hours and the job is done. You're mobile again tomorrow, even if you come home really flat. So that really is a win for practicality, utility, usefulness, whatever. Some people say I am an EV hater and you know I've copped that a fair bit and I guess I deserved some of it. But it's actually not the case. I'm just not one of those crazy evangelical EV zealots whose divorce from reality is final. So let's talk about the facts and objective reality and why you might want to purchase one of these cars anyway without having that divorce that so many EV owners appear to have. Okay, so let's talk about being quote-unquote green. In my view, it's impossible for us to consume our way to a greener planet. So there's that. But if you do the jet charge thing overnight, even using the filthiest coal-fired grid, hashtag Australia, yes, you're really just consuming baseload power, right? They're going to burn that coal anyway for the foreseeable future, whether you charge up or not at home, and they're doing it just to keep the grid active. In other words, they're not shoveling additional coal into those fires to boil that water to make that electricity to charge your EV overnight, at least not yet. But of course, this is going to be true only if the proportion of EVs on our roads remains relatively low. If we all drove EVs tomorrow, they would, of course, have to increase the baseload burn. So transitioning to a greener grid is not exactly optional in the medium term. And solar energy is great. I mean, photovoltaics, they rock. But the sun doesn't shine overnight when you want to be charging up problematically. Except, of course, out of ScoMo's arse. Just ask him. Obviously, it does. If you buy an EV today... You're not actually saving the planet, okay? You're just not. But you are absolutely contributing to cleaner air in our cities and you are taking some of the energy security burden away from our nation. Meaning away from useless politicians who mismanage this vital national security issue and let you down so badly every day in the background on this Critical issue. They're both big issues for human health and national security, respectively. And owning an EV will allow you to punch well into the next weight category and beyond in both of these fights. So there's that. And on that last point, okay, if 2020 has taught you anything at all, please let it be that our security can be threatened in unexpected ways and it can be threatened rapidly. We spent all of this money on counter-terrorism and equipped the cops with friggin' assault rifles, which they never use because they are aimed at an insignificant to non-existent threat. And we had our pants pulled down by some fires and then a frigging virus. Well done there, elected representatives. We have two weeks of liquid fuel supply. Two weeks, that's it. If the tap runs dry because something happens overseas, society falls apart shortly thereafter. Just saying. I think you'd agree, it's kind of serious. Therefore, you can kick a tangible goal in these areas if you buy an EV today. This is a choice, right? These benefits exist ontologically they're in the domain of facts. They're like the friggin' Pacific Ocean. They exist. Meaning, you don't have to be some green friggin' nutcase to defend your decisions around making this choice. You will certainly pay extra to own an EV, but it adds up on the facts if you actually choose the facts. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that everyone who buys an EV is some sort of green nutcase. Just the ones who think they're saving the planet, okay? Or that liquid fuel is on the brink of death. I get that a lot in the comments, like it's on the way out. And to you, if that's you, I would say, look around, dude. If you want to make a rationally defensible case to own a Kona Electric... That's pretty much it. You know, clean air, energy security, quad erit demonstrandum, dudes. Go ahead, spend the big bucks. And of course, the Kona EV goes like a friggin' cut cat off the mark. So there's that. Straight line performance of that vehicle is ridiculously good. Ridiculously, certainly in line with or better than many other cars at the same price point. Like when that clown in a WRX inevitably tries to carve you up on the inside at the traffic lights, he may well discover that your Kona Electric is substantially more fully sick than his fat Rex. Yes. And, hypothetically, if someone I knew had spent months now therapeutically blowing wombats such as these into the weeds in a... Kona EV, at every opportunity, he would probably be able to tell you that their owners really don't like it at all when the faster car is kind of silent but deadly. But of course, we'll never really know because I am merely speculating about all of that. Always drive responsibly. And just remember, eco tires, not that grippy in the corners. Discretion, the far better part of valor there at least initially, until you dial it in. Very few cars at this price point are going to match a Kona Electric from zero to about 60 k's an hour. That's 35 miles per hour. Very cool. So you can absolutely add performance to the list of ontological ownership justifications for this car, meaning there's really three defensible reasons to buy the car, okay? Clean air, energy security, goes like stink, <laughs> Like that last one, always have, ever since I was born, I think. To the dudes at Hyundai, I say, make mine a Kona EV with that awesome e-diff out of the i30N and put some nice grippy Pirellis on it, won't you? Just so it can put down all 1 billion Newton meters into play off the mark, albeit briefly. I would really like that. And as much as I enjoy internal combustion. And I do like it rather a lot. No change there to report. There's nothing whatsoever therapeutic about visiting a friggin' filling station. It's just not. Liquid fuels are a miracle. A staggering amount of energy transferred so fast, so incredibly cheaply, they just liberate you to do whatever you want. It's fantastic. And yet, the user experience at the friggin' filling station, it's somehow soul crushing. On behalf of humanity, I say to the fuel retailers kindly stick your unbeatable two for one Kit Kat offer up your asses once and for all. So I think there's a fourth reason right there ritual suicide. I've always thought that was a good idea. In other words, if EVs do gain momentum and reach critical mass and push the filling station ritual over the edge one day, sometime in the future, it's fair to say that I will not spend a single nanosecond grief-stricken afterwards. And I sincerely doubt that I'm going to be alone.